church, everybody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yay. Oh, I can follow that, no problem. You wait to see. The Lord is good. We, that's why the scripture says we go from glory to glory. That's just saying, that's how you know this is going to be awesome, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, well, how y'all doing this morning? You loving the Lord? Uh, his presence, wasn't it just so sweet in worship today? Um, you literally could feel heaven uh, like beginning to invade um, just like church service and that. So, ooh, the presence of the Lord is here, amen? So I'm not going to go there. Uh, let's pray. I'm going to start preaching and we're going to get going. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all the amazing things you're doing in our midst, Lord. Like Bethlehem, just how you do amazing things in just such what man would say insignificant areas. But Lord, we know God, that with you all things are possible, and so we just welcome your presence in here this morning, Father. We know, Lord, that you desire not just to tickle our ears, but you desire to change our hearts, and so we, we just step into your presence and your anointing, Lord, in, into the fullness of what the cross has paid for us. Yeah. Lord, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would just fill this room to a greater degree with your glory, with your presence, God. We just, we want to know you. That's our desire this morning. I ask that you would anoint my words, that as I speak, God, that it would just, your anointing goes and removes the burdens and destroys the yokes. That it just breaks every chain that would try to keep us bound to this natural world. Lord, we declare that you said that we would run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not faint, God, that we would soar with you. And so we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's start. Um, Ephesians chapter two is our main scripture for the day. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it's going to be slightly different than what's up there. It may be different than what's in your Bible, but uh, it's, it's basically the same, so don't be alarmed, okay? Um, so Ephesians chapter 2 says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. <laughs> Imagine I just stop there. Let's begin. <laughs> That's like the intro to the most intense message you've ever heard. You were once dead because of your sins. Uh, verse 2 said, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at works in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Used to. Say amen. amen. Some of you, I'm prophesying that over you. You used to live that way. Receive that today in Jesus. Okay. Um, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse 4 says this, probably the greatest two words in the Bible, but God. You know, how many of you say, hallelujah, but God, right? I used to be dead in my sin, but God turned things around for me. So verse 4 says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were, that we were dead, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Not only did he raise us, but he seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So not only am I raised, right, but I am alive in him, right, that I stand with the authority and the power like Jesus does. It's not my message, but that's good news. So God can point us to all the future ages of an example of his incredible wealth and grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
and you can't take credit for this, that is that it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Amen. Right? Amen. Isn't that good news? That's why, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, in the synagogues, they would just like stand up and read a scripture and sit down. Like, I feel like the Bible preaches the best message on its own. You know, it's like we fail in comparison to the way the word says it, but I'm, I'm going to do my best. Right? So we've been spending, have you been with me? No, I'm not with my dad. How many have you been loving my dad's messages lately? Yeah. I mean, it's not every day you can feel good about the fact that he's telling you you have a demon, right? I mean, that, that's the anointing, right, in our life. <laughs> but uh, if you've been with me, we know that we've been talking about the grace of God. Um, the grace of God is, uh, it's, it's one thing that when I was in my early 20s, it was, uh, you know, the Lord really showed up in my life and began to teach me about an understanding of the grace of God. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I don't understand it in its fullness, but the little that I do know, it set me free, okay? Understanding the grace of God is an absolute essential to operate in the New Testament power of God. Because like the scripture said to us, that it's not about what we can do. Right? Our salvation and the good things of God in our life have absolutely nothing to do with us. The fact that I get to experience the goodness of God has absolutely nothing to do with me and everything to do with the fact that Jesus paved a way. Amen. You can say amen, everybody. That's good news. And so, that, so, so if you've been with me, you know that we've been talking about this. And, and for you know, the beginning couple of messages, you know, if you're here on those Wednesdays, it was real funny and real weird. And we had a good time together, and I was really vulnerable. Um, but it was like in the middle of my message, the Lord was just interrupting me. And it was like, he was like, boop, that's it. The switch is off. And it was like, okay, I guess we're done. And, uh, you know, we did that for a couple of weeks, and I got angry at the Lord for a couple of weeks. And it's pretty normal. Um, but I've been delivered. Hallelujah. Um, but as, as that was kind of happening in my life, I finally asked the Lord, Lord, what are you trying, what are you doing? Because if there's one thing that if you know me, uh, you know there's one thing that I could talk about all day long, and it's the grace of God. It's probably my favorite thing to talk about. And the fact that I was having a difficult time preaching about it began to set off alarms in my mind, thinking, okay, I think that you're trying to do something. And through that, the Lord began to talk to me about this, this uh, symbiotic relationship between grace and our relationship with the Father. Yeah. That if the grace of God is a free gift... It means that there's nothing that I have to do in order to earn it, right? It would be like if I said, hi, Lima, how are you? You look so beautiful today. Here's a gift for you, right? And don't take it because I need to read this. But I said, this is a gift for you. And she said, oh, Alex, that's so amazing. How much do you want for it? right? And I'd be like, no, 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 Lima, it, it's totally good. Like, this is a gift. I'm giving it to you. And she says, wow, that means so much to me. How much do you want me to pay you in order to have it? You see, sometimes what can happen to us is, is we feel as though there's something that we have to do in order to step into something that God has already done. Okay, but as we as I began to move forward in this understanding with the Lord, what he began to talk to me about is that since there's nothing that I have to do in order to qualify for grace, the, the area where I begin to step into my understanding is that I have to begin to first get to know the Lord. 
okay? Because if there's nothing that is blocking uh, me from being able to receive grace, the way that I enter into that thing is I begin to get to know and trust the Lord and trust that those things that he's done for me, that he actually desires to give them to me. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? That, uh, you know, we could use a natural example is that with me and my own dad, right, he could tell me pretty much anything that he wanted and I would believe him, but maybe if he was to tell you something, you might feel like, yeah, that's a little bit far-fetched. Now, the difference is not that he has changed, not that the way he feels about certain people are different than others. The difference is in myself, because I have a relationship with him, now I trust the things that he says to me, okay? And so when we're talking about grace, since there's nothing that we have to do in order to get it, okay? It's a free gift that's been given. What we have to understand is, is that the way that I step into this grace is I begin to step into deeper levels of relationship with God. You with me? You, like, am I just like blowing your mind right now? You're like, wow, I finally get it. Yeah, I, don't, I hope not, okay? And so like I said, uh, I, I love this message of grace because, uh, you know, I, I love the fact of what Jesus did and I love the cross. But what I found is that so many people struggle stepping into the grace, okay? The grace of God, right? Scripture talks to us about all these amazing things, all these amazing blessings, right? That God has done it all, right? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things, and then God is going to do it, right? He says, you know, it tells us that, you know, we don't have to worry about a thing, that he's clothed the lilies of the field so beautifully, and, you know, he talks to us, well, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, but for me, at least in my own personal life, right, I knew these amazing things and these amazing promises, but I was living at a very low level of them, can I get a witness in this? Maybe a little, okay? And so the thing that I began to understand was that the, the thing that is separating me from what God is doing is this area where I have a, an understanding of God to the place where I trust that what he said is actually something that he's going to do, okay? Am I, are you with me here? I don't know if I'm like, I'm like whiffing you around. You're listening? Okay. I just want to make sure you understand because we're like, whoa, we're going somewhere today. And so you can't miss this. Okay. And so he began to talk to me, like I said, about this concept of relationship. And he began to speak to me about how crucial this understanding of relationship is as we step forward in the grace. That's why, uh, you know, I love using the example of the Apostle Paul, who was, you know, if you know who the Apostle Paul is, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And really the majority of what he wrote in the New Testament was giving us an understanding of what the grace of God was, right? He was actually taught firsthand by Jesus, right? That Jesus would visit with him and would teach him. And he taught us, the rest of the New Testament church, about grace. And his main statement, right, that he said is that basically this idea that above all else, okay, my heart's desire, the Apostle Paul said, where do I, I have it written down here somewhere, the reference, if you want to read it yourself. I think I do. Uh, yeah, in Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul said it like this, that the desire of my heart is that I want to know you. He understood that knowing God was the doorway into grace. Because the doorway into grace is not that we do something, 
Okay, and this is so important for us because a lot of the times as we spend time in church, because church is a teaching environment, we, 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 because, and we, because we want to love God and serve God and do the, you know, the, the things of God and step into the promises of God, we, we begin to or can begin to look at life as though it's based off of the things that we're going to do. And if I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, you know, then I'm going to cross this line on the, the curve and I'm going to finally get here because I've done this, this, and this, and yay, now I get to live in the upper half rather than the crappy lower half, and then it's good, right? That's what we all want. But sometimes, and, and yes, absolutely, don't get me wrong, it's not about that we have to do things, right? Because we know that the scripture gives us the command that says that we need to renew our mind, right? That we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what we do. But the renewing of our mind is not the thing that activates grace in our life. Grace is flowing, and the way that I access the grace is through my relationship with God, where I begin to trust him that what he said to me and promised to me is actually mine, and I can experience it in life, okay? There we go. You're starting to be like, oh, the light bulbs are going off, and that's what we need. Praise the Lord. And so we've been talking about faith for a long time, um, and, and because we've been talking about faith, Sometimes what can happen to us is that we feel, am I talking too fast for you? No? Okay, good. I feel like I'm flying, but it's like, whew, I got all these thoughts in my head. As we've been talking, I'll slow down. As we've been talking about faith <laughs> and the understanding of faith. I know, it's too slow for me. But. It's right. As, it's not me, you're right. As we've been talking about faith and, this, and, and growing in this understanding, it's almost as though faith has become its own thing its own entity that, but the reality is, is that when we talk about faith, like I have faith that this table is going to hold my Bible. That's why I would throw it on there, right? You have faith because you sat down on the chair or the fact that you took a step forward. You have faith that your foot that's connected to your leg is going to hold you up, right? We have faith in things and we realize that faith is simply just confidence, right? I have confidence that what I'm stepping out on or what I'm about to do, that it's actually going to happen, okay? Now, if I wasn't sure, you know, like if this was an egg, for example, if I wasn't sure that this table here was going to hold it, I would never throw the egg onto the table because I don't have confidence in the fact that this table is now going to hold the egg, okay? When we're talking about faith in Christianity, all faith is is confidence in the fact that God has given me and done all the things that I read about that he's done for me. And so when I, I look at faith that way, not that it's this separate entity that I'm trying to figure out how to build, but as I'm building faith, what I'm doing is I'm beginning to build confidence in what God has already done for me on the cross, okay? And so in Christianity, right, when we talk about faith, what I am developing my confidence in is the grace that Jesus released to me on the cross, that I am, like the scripture said, I'm not alone, but I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, that I've been given all the authority on heaven and earth, and I'm so confident in that, that now I'm living my life, not from this lowly earthly place, but I'm living my life as though I'm with Jesus seated in heavenly places. That is when we talk about faith, that is what it is, that I'm so confident in what God has done. That no matter how life looks, I am going to and will always step out on what God says because I'm so confident in what Jesus did on the cross and how that applies to my life today. Okay? All right. (laughs) 
Where's Sandy when you need him? <laughs> so when we talk about this confidence, okay, confidence is, it's very simple because the way that we develop confidence in anything, right, it's like if I was to call, you know, any of the young kids up here, right, let's say Isaac, for example, because he's crazy cute, because I would love to have him up here with me walking. But you know when he's a baby, he is learning to be confident in his legs, right? He's walking now. I guess Robin Destiny told me this funny story. Sorry to embarrass you, Isaac, in the future when you're coming back and watching me, but this is actually what happened to you, is that he learned how to walk so fast that he learned how to walk before he learned how to roll over. And so, you know, he's like running around, but if he like falls back and falls on his back, he doesn't know how to roll over. And so he literally <laughs> just like, right? He's like, you know, like you flip a turtle over and they're kind of just like, how do I get up from here? Right, but he's like running around still. It's amazing. The kid is awesome. Okay, but the way that he becomes confident, right, in, in his legs is that he begins to test it out, right? He begins to test out his legs. He begins to try things out. And, and, and in our own life, okay, when we're talking about, oh, thank you so much. What a great man you are. Sandy in the flesh. Sandy was praying in, in Africa and Richard heard the call. Now, now, the way that we become confident in God is extremely simple, okay? Is that we simply just begin to step out on the things that God asks us to do, okay? Crazy, I know. Like, it's like, whoa, you know, we could, you know, and we do all the graphs and all the points and all the teachings to encourage people. The thing is awesome. <laughs> no, I know. It's just this motion feels really good. You know, the graph, because everybody knows what that is. But we do all these things and teach people all these things so that we can begin to grow in confidence. But the reality is, is that you can pursue your walk with God in faith in any way that you want. Because all it is, is developing confidence. Like the way that I became confident in my dad, for example, was not that because I'm his son, I was born with it. The way that I developed confidence in my dad is when my dad said, hey, Alex, you know, when you turn the wheel this way, the car is going to go this way, right? It was like, for example, when I was learning how to ride my motorcycle and he would tell me, you know, there's this thing called counter steering. And what you do is you actually turn the wheel the other way in order to turn, you know, you want to turn right. So you turn the wheel left, right? And I'm like, yeah, dad, whatever, man. But because I trust him, right? I was willing to do it, but how many of you know that that trust didn't come because of some inherent nature, because we share the same blood and DNA? No, it, it doesn't come because of that. It comes because I've spent years listening to what he said and realizing that, oh, those things actually turn out for good. Sometimes we want in Christianity that I'm going to pick up the Bible and read a couple of scriptures, and although that's amazing, and, and all of a sudden now faith is going to rise in my heart. Yes, it's true, but faith comes as a result of reading the scriptures, doing the scriptures, watching the scriptures turn out, and in the midst of that, now I begin to grow in confidence that what the scripture says is true. There is no magic formula to this. It's not like, oh, the spirit is going to come and possess me, and then I'm going to be, it's nothing like that at all. What it is, is, is that this is actually true, right? What makes this book have power is not the fact that this wonderful company, like whatever, Zondervan, printed it with anointed ink, right? That the Buddhist monks from some crazy temple somewhere anointed it. it that's not what this was. It comes alive because as we begin to step out on the principles of God, 
right? Now what happens in my life is I begin to watch life flow out of my life. And because I watch life flow out of my life, I begin to grow in confidence with God. And the more that I grow in confidence with God, the more that I'm willing to step out. And the more that I'm willing to step out on what God has asked me to do, the more that God can do through my life. Say that 10 times fast. Because you see, this is where we are right now in the churches, I believe, is that it's what the Lord, you know, at the beginning of this year, the Lord put me on this journey and he began to talk to me about the fact that I could listen. I mean, I've been in church since I was probably four years old. I've heard more messages than most people have heard, you know, and, and, and it had, for my life, it didn't really change very much. Because you see, it's not just about hearing. Coming to church is going to change your life, but it changes our life very short, very temporarily. Like you're going to come to church and feel really awesome right now because the presence of the Lord is here. But as soon as you leave here and you go back to your life, nothing changes unless we take what the scripture tells us to do and begin to apply them to our life. Because you see, relationship with God is personal. It's something that I can only develop. Like right now, you're at your, I don't know why I'm going here, Lord Jesus. Right now, what's happening to you is you are stepping into, right, Jess's relationship with God and my dad's relationship with God and my relationship, and you're stepping into this moment where you are experiencing what I am experiencing. Okay, this is, you know, whatever. But as you leave, what happens is, is that now you go back to what you are experiencing and you can experience this all the time, but it comes as a result of stepping out on what God tells me to do so that I grow in confidence with him. And as I grow in confidence with him, I begin to experience the life of Christ in my own life. Okay. How was that 20 minutes? All right. So the doorway to the supernatural life, I talked about this. I talked about this the other day. The scariest scripture in the Bible, Matthew 16, 25, my dad alluded to, to it today. It's if I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it. But if I lose my life for the sake of Christ, then I'll find it. I think that's the scariest. Actually, when you're a new Christian, it's the most exciting, right? Then after you've been saved for like five, six, seven, eight years, then it's like the scariest scripture, right, in the Bible. But what I realized was in my own life, this may be different for you, but in my own life, what I realized was the reason that I was afraid to lose my life in God was because I didn't know him. It's true. Like, I, my, my dad's a perfect example. And, you know, we got a great thing going. But I, I was in school to become a medical doctor, doing the thing, live my own life. And the call of the Lord came on me to begin to follow my dad and... The reason that I did it was because I have confidence in him, okay? So we have to understand is that the reason that I was willing to lose my life for Ian's sake was because I knew him, okay? Like we could say out there for a minute. Sometimes what happens to us is that we, we've made Christianity into something really that it's not, because, you know, we come to church and we have great lights in here, you know, thanks to my dad, and we have great music, thanks to Jess, and we create this atmosphere, but really Christianity begins when you walk out the doors. Because it's, it's personal. My relationship with God is about me and him. 
And a lot of the times where people miss it, right, in this, because listen, we all want life, right? Matthew 16, 25, like, I want that. I want to step into the life of Christ, right? I want to be able to lose my life in him because I so badly want, my heart longs to step into the perfect the, the plan and call of God on my life. I want, I desire that. There's nothing that can satisfy me like the call of God on my life. And so I want to so desperately lose my life in him. But there comes these moments in my life where the Lord asks me to do something, and because I haven't developed the confidence in him, which just comes from spending time with him, so often I miss out on the amazing things that God wants to do, not because he's holding them back from me, but because I didn't know him well enough in order to be confident in him enough to step out on the things that he's asked me to do. And I believe as Christians, it's not a, co- a statement of condemnation whatsoever. It's a statement simply to allow us to understand that there's nothing wrong with your relationship relationship with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with you. There's no separation between you and God. The message of grace came to let you know that there's nothing that you could do to separate you from the love of God. But if you want to step into the life of God, you have to, on your own, develop confidence in him and the promises that he's given. If you want more from God, all we have to do is get to know him more. That's it. So the more time that I spend with him, the more that I know him. The more that I know him, the more that I trust him. The more that I trust him, the more that grace will flow in my life. Because you see, grace is flowing. You know, it's like I, I use this example. I just taught on in the internship, you know, about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's actually a person, right? He is like Jesus. He is his own entity, and we don't have to wonder, you know, j- just like, you know, if Mike walked in the building today. Nobody in here wondered, you know, I wonder what part of Mike is going to walk in today. <laughs> like, I wonder if Mike's floating head is going to, like, bobble in. And we're going to be like, whoa, that's cool. Mike's head came, you know, or maybe it was just going to be these pair of legs, right? And we knew that they were Mike's legs. And we're like, oh, so nice of Mike's legs to join us today. And sometimes we can feel like that about the things of God. But I tell you something, God and his presence, that when Mike comes to church, he spends time with us, all of Mike comes with him. Grace is always flowing all the time, right? The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace, and he comes in his fullness all the time. Okay, and so what we have to step into is this understanding that says there's nothing holding back the fullness of God manifested in my life ever. What holds it back is can I believe that the things that God said are actually true? Do I have the confidence in God to step out on the fact that he said this even though the doctor said this? That God said this even though my bank account said this? Do I have the confidence to obey God even though things in the natural say to me the opposite of what God says? That is having faith in grace. I believe in God more than I believe in anything else. And that only comes as a result of knowing him. I will close with this. Three points. Who is God? Who is, who is he? Because one of the things that I found in my own life is I didn't really know who he was. I didn't know his attributes. I mean, I loved him because I loved his presence. 
I loved coming to church because I loved the way it made me feel. But I really didn't know who he was. What is his nature? What are his attributes? And so the problem when I didn't know who he was was that the enemy was able to come in and, you know, he would plague me with the what if syndrome. That's what I like to call it. And I would say, God, you know, I'm believing for, in you to, to heal my body. And he would say, well, Alex, what if? The devil, not God. And I would say, Lord, you know, I'm just trusting you that, you know, whatever, whatever. And the devil would come in and say, you know, Alex, what if? What if? What if you're not good enough? What if he doesn't love you that much? What if you've done some things that are just unforgivable? And so often, our confidence in him is stolen because we don't actually know who is God. So the first thing that God is, we know, the scripture tells us that God is love. He's love. Now this love is not like, I love this water bottle because it makes me feel so good in my parched throat. The scripture says that it calls the love of God agape. It is this place of unconditional love. The scripture talks to us about that our visible representation of the depth of God's love for us was the fact that he would put Jesus on the cross, right? That he would stop at nothing in order to save you, to express his love to you. He was willing to go to the greatest length, the greatest level of sacrifice, which was literally hanging himself on the cross. He was willing to do it to save you because of the depth of his love in you. Romans chapter 8 tells us that there's nothing that you can do to separate you from his love because his love is not based off of anything you have done. Human love, really, for the majority in the world, you know, in a lot of people's lives, is, is very conditional love. You know, I will love you as long as this, 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 and this. And as soon as you aren't this, 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 and this for me, well, now I feel as though I have fallen out of love with you. Because that love was conditional. It was based off certain things. God, the scripture says that God loved us so much that he would send Jesus to the cross for us. The scripture says, even when we were still sinners. God loved you so much that he knew you were going to do all the horrible things that you were going to do. But in spite of all those things, he loved you so intensely that he was willing to give his all for you. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. The example that I use when we talk about God is love is this. You see, God is love, not like God has love, right? Like I have love and I give my love, but God doesn't have love to give. It is his nature. He is bound by only one thing. That thing that he is bound to is love. He doesn't physically have the, the ability or the capacity to do anything that is stepping outside of love like this. For example, I, Alex, am man. I am man. There is nothing that I can do to change that. I don't wake up every morning going, oh, oh, thank God I'm still a man. None of you do that. You don't wake up in the morning and run to the mirror and start staring like, no, because I know I am bound to this nature. 
There is nothing that I can do to separate myself from my manliness. I wake up like it. I go to bed like it. The decisions that I make are filtered through it. I am man, therefore I am bound to the nature as a man. God is not a gender. He is the embodiment of love itself. There is nothing he can do to step outside of that love. That's why when the enemy comes to you and tries to make you feel like, you know, God doesn't love you enough in order to get you that thing that you want, you laugh and say, ha, 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 devil, why? Because I know his nature. It's not even a question to me if God loves me enough because he is love. He doesn't have the ability to choose whether he loves me enough. I don't choose how much of my manliness that I bring when I step into this room. You get 100% of this man all the time. God is the same. He looks at you with 100% of his love all the time. The second thing that God is, is God is good. Luke 18, 19 says this, Jesus speaking, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Psalms 23 says it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Read along with me. The Lord is my shepherd and he makes me want. He lies me down in garbage pastures. He leads me beside the torrential waters and he steals my soul. No, that's not, that's not, that's not the definition of the Lord. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. The scripture goes on to talk about other things. But not only is God good, Jeremiah 29 11 says it like this that he has plans for you. And this good God who loves you unconditionally, has made only good plans for your life. You know, God never desired that any of us would ever live a single difficult day the entire time that we live on this earth. Jesus did everything that he did so that we could experience life. Not some life, some death, he doesn't use bad things to teach us a lesson. He doesn't actually have the nature or the ability to do that. His plans for us are always and only good. Always. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, his plans are for our good, to, for, a, for a good end, to prosper us. He's good. And the third thing, is that God is merciful. Now, I love this one, and I'm done here, I promise. Timer done. God is merciful, and this is one of those ones that I had a really difficult time understanding because 
using of the word mercy, I find, you know, maybe it's just me, but I think that in our culture, some of these words, like, it's like we understand, like we know that we should know what it means, but we know it in a very limited capacity. And so when I began to do a little bit of research into this word merciful, the first definition that I found was kindness or goodwill toward the miserable, right? So there's hope for each of us. Hallelujah. To the kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with the desire to help them. The word mercy is synonymous with the word compassion, not the word pity. When you pity someone, you extend yourself to them because they're actually making you feel kind of uncomfortable. When you're compassionate towards someone, you so desperately want to see their life changed that regardless of what they're going through, you are committed to walking that out with them. You see, when we mess up, God's mercy is not that he, I don't care, you know, Alex, he's so dumb down there, whatever. Yeah, that's not the mercy of God. The mercy of God is that the scripture says he sees me and knows me. He knows my heart. The mercy of God is that when I mess up, he comes alongside me to help to bring me through the thing that hurts me. The other definition was this. It was, it's weird. This is the actual definition of mercy. Of uncertain affinity. Right? That's, that's how I felt. My hand looked really like, of uncertain affinity. And, you know, when I read this, because the word uncertain has a very negative connotation, you know, the, God is not uncertain of whether he wants to help you. Okay, let me, let me tell you that. When you cry out to the Lord for help, he's not in heaven. Uh, I'm not really sure whether I want to help him. No, this is what the actual word means of uncertain affinity. They're actually scientific words, okay? And it was kind of cool because when I read them, I knew how to understand because of my background. But the word uncertain is a scientific term that's used when you're doing a study on something and you're committed to doing the study, even though, this is so good, you're committed to doing the study. Like, there's no question. We actually so badly want to do this study, even though we have no idea how this thing is going to turn out, okay? And the word affinity is actually the, it's, it's the scientific word that's used when we talk about atoms, like the world is made up of atoms. And the, the, the force that holds them together is called affinity, okay? So let me paint a picture. This word mercy is this, uncertain affinity of God saying this, before you were even born, before you were even born, before you knew the outcome of your life, before you knew any of the decisions that you were gonna make or how they were gonna turn out, I have committed myself to the place where I bound myself to you the same way that I bound atoms together. That there is absolutely nothing that you can do regardless of the outcome that could break the bond that we have together. 
The mercy of God is not that he gives you a free pass. The mercy of God is that regardless of the way anything in your life has turned out, he chose before you were even born to bind himself to you, to walk with you through everything you are going to experience. That is the love of God, the goodness of God, and the mercy of God. That whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you've done, God is always with you. So Heavenly Father, we, we know you love us so much and we're so thankful for